verses 14 through 24. A uh, gentleman tells a story. Linda, I haven't even said anything funny yet. You're laughing already. I Thank you, though. You're anticipating it. Fa- a guy tells a story about his father-in-law who pastors a congregation in royal, rural Pennsylvania. And uh, maybe you know this guy. I'm not sure. Uh, but you, you know how those churches are. It's kind of like this church, and they, they give food. They like their pastors to try food. Uh, so he goes into his office one day. And he sees two containers, and there's a little lovely note, and it's from a sweet old woman in the congregation, and uh, they wants him to they want she wants him to sample him and his wife to sample the food. Uh, so in one container is some lovely hearty homemade soup. So he brings the soup home, and eats the soup, and him and his wife absolutely love the soup. In the other container. We weren't quite sure what it was. They, they think it appeared to be some sort of squash substance or dish. So they say, well, you know, smells kind of nice. You know, they take it out and they sample the squash dish. They didn't like the squash dish. So they just kind of forgot about the squash dish and it ended up in the trash can. A few days later, they were talking to, to the woman and thanking her for her gracious gift. And this is where you're like, you just thank her for the soup, and you're hoping she doesn't ask about the squash dish, because you don't want to tell her what happened to the squash. It'd be like if someone gave me beef stew. I'd be like, yeah, thank you. It's great, and then change the subject. They thanked her for it, but they didn't mention the squash dish. And then a little time after that, the pastor was having a conversation with the custodian. And he was upset, the pastor was upset, because all the kids were getting all this stuff all over the floor during their craft projects. So he's telling the custodian about it, he goes, yeah, I took care of that. It was Play-Doh, so didn't you see the container of Play-Doh that I left on your desk a few weeks earlier? So, looked like squash, smelled like squash, probably was squash, right? No, 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 it was a squash substance Play-Doh that they decided to taste test. It's, it's kind of funny because uh, certain things appear a certain way, don't they? And we kind of make judgments based on appearances. Um, and I think sometimes we are more careful with what we put into our bodies than what we put into our souls. Uh, one of the things that Jesus is pointing out here, really, the, the main aspect of what we are looking at here is don't make judgments based on appearances. You don't know what you are going to accept or reject. And in the end, it could be a lot worse than eating a jar of Play-Doh. So many here are sitting here today. How many people made some judgments today? How many people made judgments? Come on, you guys made judgments. Maybe you even made a judgment about this sermon. You're like, oh, I I think I'd rather be at home eating Play-Doh squash. Listen to the pastor. Maybe you made judgments about my outfit. That's a bright, distracting yellow shirt. Maybe you made judgments about your own outfit. Maybe the outfit of the person sitting next to you. Maybe you made judgments about the, the service. Maybe this is your first time here and you're like, ah, you know, I'm not too sure about this. And all these judgments are based on what? Outward appearances. Jesus warns people because people make judgments all the time. Jesus wants people to make judgments correctly, particularly judgments about him. 
Because coming to the wrong conclusion about Jesus and coming to the wrong conclusion about spiritual truths or anything that has to do with eternity or spiritual truth has some dire consequences. Jesus corrects that thinking here and like our Plato pastor lets us know that not everything is what it appears to be. And he gives us some practical advice on how to come to the proper conclusions specifically regarding himself. So the, the, the Jews in the passage here today make really two misjudgments. They misjudge Jesus based on this outward filter that they're putting on him, this religious filter. And they make the two misjudgments. The first one misjudgment is made regarding his teaching, his teaching. So, verses 14 through 18. In John chapter 7. But, when it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple. He began to teach. The Jews then were astonished, saying, How has this man become so learned, having never been educated? Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true. There is no unrighteousness in him. But Jesus is, it's the middle of the feast. Jesus does what he has, has done in the past, and he begins to teach. I just wanted to take a second, because as I go through these, these passages, I kind of just want to help, help you and give you insight into how I come about these certain conclusions about a passage like this. So part of me preaching, hopefully, is allowing you to see how the Bible's interpreted and how you come to these certain conclusions, and especially after I took a week-long course on that, I kind of want to share some of that insight with you. So if you look at a passage like this, what's a word that comes up a lot? What, do you, what word do you see a lot? You just call it out. Maybe it doesn't come up that out. Maybe I was wrong. Is that about the word teaching? In the, in the first section, right? Lots of teaching going on there. So teaching, you have learned, you have education, and you have truth. That kind of gives you an idea of where the misunderstanding is happening regarding Jesus. It's over his teaching. And what are they saying about his teaching? What are they upset about? Well, they don't know his alma mater. They're unfamiliar with where Jesus went to school. And because of that, so they're amazed at his teaching, but you can hear there's some skepticism there, isn't it? They're, they're, they're skeptical of his truth. Why? Because he was not formally trained. So they are ready to reject the truth of Jesus Christ because he hasn't gone to one of their familiar schools. But we don't have a problem like this, do we? We don't value schools, we don't value institutions, we don't value educations. One school is better than another, do we? So here are some of the schools that they really took stock in, the school of Hillel, Shammai, and Gamaliel, which may or may not be the same school that Paul went to. 
uh, but there was a previous Gamaliel as well. I just want to stop here for a second, um, and I just want to address kind of particularly our younger generation. You guys are going to end up going to universities, aren't you? Do you think all those universities believe in Jesus Christ? No, as a matter of fact, do you think they have a program against Jesus Christ and against his truth? Absolutely. And I just want to tell you something. You don't have to worry about those universities. Because we, we, they formulate these opinions, and, and, and if, they go, if people go to certain universities, that carries more weight, doesn't it? And if you go to like Harvard, or if you go to Princeton, or you go to any of these universities, and everything that comes out of someone's mouth, they're like, oh, that's truth. Oh, it must be true. You go to Harvard. Oh, you go to Princeton. They, they are not the last word on truth, nor are they the first word. Don't worry about that. Don't be afraid of what they're going to tell you because Jesus says otherwise. And here we have these religious schools and, and we can kind of fall into the, into the same uh, dangerous area in Christianity, can't we? We can value one educational system over another. I didn't think I'd have this, this problem, uh, but I did when I uh, initially went to uh, New England Bible College, and I would talk to other pastors and other people in ministry, and i tell them, oh, I'm at New England Bible College. Oh, where's that? And I'd say, oh, it's in South Portland. Oh, Southern Maine has a Bible college? How big is the campus? So now you hear the word campus, and you're like, all right. What am I going to say to these people here? And then you're like, well, it's not really a campus. Oh, no, it's, it's actually in a basement. Okay. So now we start getting, now we start getting, it gets, I get a little nervous about it. And then, and then they say, oh, okay, is it, and then they say that word, is it accredited? Not at the moment, no. God bless you in your ministry, son. But we do that, don't we? And we think that one instance, it doesn't matter what institutions we go to. What matters is whose truth we are learning, doesn't it? Here, these folks are going to religious schools, but they are, the, they are not learning the truth because they are rejecting the very one who speaks the truth, who is the truth, Jesus Christ. And they're saying, hey, Where's your masters of divinity? You don't got one. Can I see your credentials? You know, at this point, this is where you're like, Jesus, why can't you just blow everyone up and just be like, there you go. Do you believe me now? But he doesn't say that, does it? He's like, I have a masters of divinity. Matter of fact, I am the master of divinity uh, because I am divine. I want you to listen to his response here. It's amazing, and we know that this isn't the first time. This isn't the last time this is going to happen. Because remember what they say to Peter and about Peter and John. They're like, "How do these guys know so much?" And then they recognized what that they were with Jesus. I want you to see how Jesus responds here. He responds with humility because he says something. He says, "Look, it's not my truth, even though it is his truth." He's saying, my, this is God's truth. And it is absolutely primary 
that we understand something that anything that is said up here, any teaching that happens for the spiritual growth with regards to Christianity needs to, needs to agree with him. That's where truth comes from. Truth isn't found or comes from or is originated with man. It's not. It originates right there. And that's what he says, ultimately, you will know that I speak the truth of who? Of God. Everything that is said regarding spiritual truth must agree first and foremost with God. Where do we get that? Right here. This is truth. This is it. Jesus is truth. What he says is true. And because what he says is true, we can experience that truth. There's a, there's a phrase that says God is still speaking. God's done speaking. God has spoken. And God's final word is in his son. And all truth must agree with his truth, or else guess what? It's not true. But he gives us a way to know the truth. He gives us a way to discern the truth properly. What does he say to do? He says to, he gives two aspects to it, but before that, a little illustration here. How many people believe in a flat earth? It's okay, don't. So people do it. Someone raised their hand. Did someone raise their hand? I'm just kidding. No one raised their hand. You're like a closet. Someone's a closet flat earther in here. Well, actually, you know, the group is, you remember, we used to learn about that in elementary school. Well, it's the flat earth society still exists. Boasts of 555 members. Uh, the newest member is a rapper. His name is B.O.B. Bring your own brain. I'm not sure what that means. Well, sorry, that's mean. Once he got into a Twitter feud uh, with someone, uh, Neil DeGrayson, over the flat earth theory, and he's now on a mission to prove it. He's going to prove a flat earth. He started raising funds on a GoFundMe account, because that's the best way to do it. And he's getting a satellite. He's getting a satellite so that he can <laughs> send it up in the space. He should join that satellite, maybe. I'm just kidding. We don't want to send anyone to space. And he's going to see the curve. He wants to see the curve. But guess what happened? GoFundMe has frozen his account because they're not sure if he's going to mismanage the funds. I can almost guarantee he's probably going to mismanage those funds. I don't think we'll be seeing a satellite anytime soon. But not, all hope is not lost for our flat earth rapper B.O.B. What can he do? He can follow Jesus' advice. How do you know the truth? Well, you do it. He can buy a sailboat for very, very cheap, and he can sail. And if he falls off, then he knows it's true. Folks, truth, particularly spiritual truth here, is self-authenticating. That is what Jesus is saying here. Uh, but there are two conditions. What's the first condition that he, that he hits on? In order to know the truth, you must be willing to do whose will. God's will. This is where a lot of people don't wind up, particularly the guys that are talking to Jesus. Many people come out with all of these 
accusations against truth. All of these little things against truth. All of these reasons why it can't be true. This is the main reason. They don't want it to be true. They don't want to do God's will. And because they don't want to do God's will, they are going to attack the truth. People don't want that to be true. Because if it's true, they have to change. If it's true, that means they've been living a lie. If it's true, Jesus is right. And we're all in big trouble. And even for Christians, we don't know or experience God's truth because we don't want to do it. It's the first part. And then it's the Nike commercial. Just do it. Stop analyzing it. Stop hemming and hauling. Just do what he says And then what is the end result? What's the end result? No. That is a certain objective fact that is going to happen in the future. I can testify to that. All of you who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ can testify to that, can't you? Because there was a time when I followed my truth. There was a time where I headed in this direction And then I believed in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and something happened. I changed drastically. I know this is true. You are all walking, living testimonies of this truth. You know it. And our job now is to go forth and proclaim that truth. Whoever is willing does the truth and then knows the truth. It is a future certainty. It is an objective fact. It'd be like, you know, but you got you to do it first, right? You got you to do it first. You got to be willing. You have to do it. And then we see kind of like the last aspect of false teachers. So this is another way to discern the truth. What are false teachers or what are people who are not teaching spiritual truth, what are they in for? What are they in it for? What does he say? Self-glory. Self-glory. One of your biggest distinctions between those who are preaching truth and those who are preaching falsehood is the purpose or the reason why they are doing it. Jesus is in it for who? For God's glory. That is the goal of truth. That is the goal of teaching. So that God can be glorified in that aspect. And there are many out there today that are using this platform, using a preaching and teaching platform, and they're not in it for God's glory, but they're in it for their own. Jesus is true. There is no unrighteousness in him, but they are calling him false, and they are coming to the wrong conclusions. And why are they doing that? Because they are judging him based upon these outward worldly filters. The second aspect in which they come to this incorrect conclusion is on his works, verses 19 through 23. I closed my Bible. Did not Moses give you the law 
Let none of you, none of you carries out the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who seeks to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one deed and you all marvel. For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers. On the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses won't be broken, are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? This story, there's a woman who unfortunately uh, left her child in a running vehicle and uh, at the grocery store in the parking lot she went in to grab some milk and some meat just so happens that a thief walked by saw the car running and then got into the vehicle drove away however thankfully this thief had somewhat of a distorted moral compass because he didn't know that the child was in the back seat until he looked in the rearview mirror and he's driving away and he sees the child in the back seat. So he turns around and he brings the car back and there's the mom that is waiting to see where her car went to. He doesn't stop there. Do you know what he does? He reprimands her. He gets out of the car, he, he begins to scold the mother for leaving the child in the car. And then he proceeds to grab the child, scold her some more, and make her take the child. But then he gets back in the car, and he drives away. What, what do we call that? It's a, yeah, stupid. It's hypocrisy, isn't it? Who is this guy, this thief? This one who is in the process of breaking the law, how can he reprimand someone about not doing the right thing? That is kind of exactly what is happening in our passage right here. Jesus is being scolded by the car thieves, except Jesus didn't do anything wrong, and Jesus then turns the tables on them, and he reprimands them. Listen, listen to what he is saying here. I just want you to, one of the biggest things that we have to see here, one of the biggest things that it begins with this conflict between Jesus and the religious authorities, and believe me, it continues today. It is the conflict between a misunderstanding or misuse of the law of God and grace. That's the conflict. Realize this. Their misunderstanding of God's law kills Jesus. You don't think legalism is deadly? Look at where it takes these folks and look at what they do. Listen to what Jesus says here. Didn't Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keep the law. Why does he say that? Why does he say that here? Aren't they keeping the law? As a matter of fact, aren't they mad at Jesus for supposedly breaking the law? Their Sabbath laws that they had? Why, are, why is he saying that to them? Who's not keeping the law? 
What does he say right after that? Why do you seek to kill me? Jesus is like, wait, time out. Can we get a time out? You guys, you guys are law keepers. I'm, I'm remembering from when I was taught at homeschool by my mom, and she told me about a commandment, and I think it was, what's the commandment? You shall not kill. Do we see what is happening here? The very ones who think that they are serving God, the very ones who think that they are doing the works of God are actually breaking the law by seeking to kill Jesus. This is where their filter of God and religion and law takes them to kill people. For that very law. Jesus is like, wait a second. Why are you trying to kill me? You, you're, you're breaking the law, the very law that you are there to protect and to teach others. You're breaking it by seeking to kill me. And they say, you're crazy. And the crowds say that. Notice it's the crowds who say that. Why? Because the crowds don't know of the plan of the Jews at this point. The Jews don't say anything because they know it's true. They want to kill him. They want to kill him, and they're basing it on a misunderstanding of God's law. But there is more to that because there is an utter hypocrisy between them. So Jesus then turns to the Sabbath, and he says, look, on the Sabbath, and he does this lesser to greater argument. He says, look, on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man, you break your own law, your own Sabbath laws, and you do work. Why are you upset with me for making an entire man whole? And I, I think we begin to see here that there is this big distinction between Jesus' works and the works of these religious leaders. Their works hurt, harm, and kill. That's legalism. Jesus does what? Heals. Do you see the difference? They're seeking to kill him. Jesus is seeking to make people whole. We can't get this one wrong. The gospel is not a list of do's and don'ts. That is not what Christianity is about. The law points us to the fact that you and I need a Savior, and His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus fulfills the law here. It is the redemptive purpose that God has for us. The righteousness that we have, they're judging based on this outward righteousness. And we can do this in church just like they did. We can have all these little laws all these little rules, and we can judge each other accordingly. And what happens is people suffer for it. And people are hurt and their faith is destroyed. Paul saves some of his strongest language for Christians who misunderstand the law at this point. What does he say? You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who's tricked you? 
before your very eyes, Jesus, before who your very eyes, Jesus Christ, was clearly portrayed as crucified. Why is he saying that in that context? Because that's the only way to righteousness. The Galatians are trying to work again, trying to fulfill the law through works. I'd like to learn from you one thing. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing, by faith? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish or be perfected by means of the flesh? That's not the gospel. And if we begin to judge people based on this, we're only going to do them harm in the end. It's grace and faith. Guy tells a story about talking to a, a young girl who's been in a church for quite some time, and he begins to ask her some questions. Someone who should know the gospel, and ask her, he, after he asked her about forgiveness and stuff like that, he goes, what do you think God wants you to know? What is it that God wants you to know? Uh, she lit up, and she knew the answer right away. He wants me to know that I should love myself, and there's nothing I can't do if I think I can do it. Is that what God wants us to know? Then he goes, what does God want from you? What does he want from you? She says, he wants me to do good stuff. You know, be nice to others and not hang around with bad people. The guy says, apparently we've transformed the holy, terrifying, magnificent, and loving God of the Bible into Santa and his elves. Instead of transmitting the gloriously liberating and life-changing truth of the gospel, we've taught our children that what God wants from them is morality and that being good, at least outwardly, is the be-all and end-all to their faith. It's not it. It's a conflict that begins here between Jesus and the religious leaders, and it is a conflict that continues today. Jesus' goal is to make you whole. And there is only one way that that can happen. He was broken for you. That's how he makes us whole. And you receive that by faith, not by works. And no one can ever take it away from you once you do. You can't lose it and you can't add to it. They're viewing Jesus through the eyes of a legalistic, self-righteous perfecting religion. What's interesting is circumcision was considered to be a perfecting rite. So when they performed circumcision, symbolically, they were perfected. What does Jesus do? He actually physically makes an entire person whole. And I, I think there's also this contrast between them physically maiming someone and Jesus actually healing. And that's the difference spirituality is not to be judged outwardly. Man goes after the flesh, God goes after the heart. This is the biggest difference between Christianity and any false or moralistic religion. The whole point is not cutting people down, but making them whole. And in the end, if it were up to them, that guy would have never been healed. That could have waited until the next day. Isn't that crazy? The people who are supposed to be representing God, 
representing redemption are harming people and pushing them out of the kingdom. Jesus concludes here the pretty powerful statement. It's not a prohibition as much as it is to tell them to stop doing it. It's a cessation. He says, stop judging according to outward appearance. Because what is happening, they're judging him because of his education and his works. And they're coming to the wrong conclusion. And that's a deadly one. I tell you a story about that. A few years ago, walked into this church. First time here, first or second time here. I was young and just like today, still struggle with making judgments based on appearances, outward appearances. I didn't know too many people. I saw one, one guy and he was real intimidating. He's tall and he was all business. Matter of fact, he dressed in like a business suit, I think. And I was scared of him. And I was watching him and listening to his demeanor, or listening to him talk and watching his demeanor. And I said, This guy's going to want absolutely nothing to do with me. And I don't want anything to do with him. Came to a judgment, not an individual. A few weeks later, a few weeks later, I ended up having a conversation with this man. It might have been the same, I can't remember. It might have been the same, I don't think it was the same day. It was a little bit after. We start talking about, of all things, fishing. And I'm like, wow. I didn't think a guy looked like this could be a fisherman. So automatically, because he met my criteria that anyone who fishes must be okay or cool to hang out with, I started to, to welcome him. And then we started to hang out and fish together. After hanging out with him, I realized there's more to this man than just being a cool fisherman. He ended up being one of the most genuine, sincere, kind, and giving individuals that I've ever met in my life. He and his wife. Not only did we become best friends, but they became spiritual parents to me and Sarah. And I don't know where I would be without them over these years. My initial judgment of Mark Halfaker was wrong. I did exactly what Jesus tells us not to do. And I could have missed out on a relationship that changed my life. Imagine coming to the wrong conclusions about Jesus. Folks, things that affect us eternally must absolutely not be judged superficially. Must not judge Jesus that way. And we must not judge others that way. Tells us to stop judging and judge with a righteous judgment. Father, we thank you for this passage. Thank you 
for giving us your spirit to guide us away from this error. Lord, we know that we are guilty of it so often. Lord, help us not to judge spiritual things in this matter. Help us not to judge others in this way. Lord, help us to judge with a righteous judgment, one that leads us to the truth and one that glorifies you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.